Hear a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasians, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wild. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man with whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by the demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasians asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. A story in Luke this morning that Meg just read for us is a familiar one, to be sure, to many of us. But if we read it with eyes anew, perhaps trying to read it for the first time, it proves to be much more than just another miracle story, doesn't it? It appears in all of the Synoptic Gospels, this story. Matthew's version, though, is much more tamed, much more condensed than Mark's account and the story that Meg just read in Luke. In Luke, Jesus arrives in Gentile territory, a place where Jews would not have wanted to go and certainly would not desire to be. But Jesus, just by a simple boat ride, breaks that barrier. Says, this is where I want to be, among a people you don't want to be with. 
Scholars believe this is around the area where a revolt against Rome was brutally put down by the Roman army in AD 67. And Vesper's army and his general Lucius slaughtered about a thousand people who were gathered in the city and burned the city and the villages surrounding the city. When Jesus arrives before that, crosses the lake and arrives at the shore of this city, he is immediately met with this conundrum. I guess he's met by more than that. He's met by this nameless man who has been exiled to the margins of existence. He is filthy. He runs around naked in public. He can't control his speech. He is so violent that people can't come near him. And all attempts to restrain this man have failed. And he even exhibits the most common form of self-harm, even today, self-mutilation. The idea of the day, they added all those things up. They took all those things. And they said the sum of all these things means that he's demon-possessed. And so his community did what, gosh, communities have been doing throughout history up to present day. They just banished him. They put him outside of the safe bounds of the society. And they put him on the margins of life. Nothing comes easier. If you look back at history, I mean, right? Nothing comes easier than demonizing another person. I don't know why or how. We just do that so well. Fear makes us so easy for members of society to demonize and to cast out the other. We're no different. Our society is not immune to fear. In fact, we spend a lot of time, don't we, individually, collectively, as a country, a nation, a city, a state, in fear's playground. And we know that it is easier to banish and to hate than it is to understand and to love. We've all played in fear's playground at one point in our lives or another. Let's be candid, it's comfortable there, isn't it? Things are very black and white there. The world and all honesty makes more sense there. We know when we're there who our enemies are. Everybody who doesn't look like us or act like us or believe like we do or think like we do, they're all our enemies. And the longer we stay there, the harder it is to leave. Just ask the gunman, right, who went to the Orlando nightclub last Saturday. He infused his fear into his peaceful religion and what came out was a warped, world, warped worldview filled with fear that produced hate. And so he used that hate to target one specific group of people. You know, right, that fear is the brother of hate and the enemy of peace. A little less than a year ago, you could have asked Dylan Roof, who did the same thing. Spent too long in fear's playground, and that led him to hate. So he went to an African-American church and began shooting. After the Paris shootings, fear was running amok, as you can imagine. It was hard to find soldiers for peace and for love and for mercy and grace. Even among children, it was hard. But children 
I think if I've learned anything these two weeks, children, I think, have to be taught how to be afraid, don't they? Maybe. Children have to be taught by somebody, either through example or through word, who to be afraid of. But a father in Paris after the attacks took his four-year-old son to the site of the shootings in Paris so they could honor the victims. They put flowers down and they lit a candle. Those are the banners of peace and love, you know, flowers, candles. And after they lit their candle and placed their flowers, a TV news reporter approached them with some questions, but specifically the four-year-old son. The news reporter stuck a mic in the son's mouth and said, do you understand what's happened here? And the son said, yes, I do. There were, in his beautiful French language, there were some really, really mean and bad guys who weren't very nice, and they hurt a lot of people. And now he paused and he said, and now we have to be really, really careful and we are going to have to change houses so these people won't hurt us. But the father interrupted quickly. The son was sitting on his lap. This is a perfect definition to me of what a father should do. And he said, don't worry, son, we don't have to move. France is our home. But the son said, but daddy, there are bad guys and I'm afraid father said, yes, but there are bad guys everywhere, and there are guns everywhere, but they can shoot us, daddy, the son said, but we have flowers, son. But the flowers, they don't do anything, daddy. Of course they do. Look at the flowers all over there. He said that you just put down. Look at those flowers. They protect us from the guns, and the candles do too. They protect us? Yes, the dad said. And the boy's eyes began to sparkle. Oh, and so he turns to the news reporter and he says, the flowers and the candles are here to protect us. We don't have to move. Does that make you feel better? The news reporter said, yes. The son said, now strong and confident. Much better. Of course, only the dad knew that the flowers and the candles mean nothing without the love and the peace behind them. I was thinking on Wednesday that I wish I could get something somehow, some way to the Orlando gunman in his cell. And I wish I could share it with everybody who's stuck in fear's box. Two days after the attack, my five-year-old daughter stood on a stage with her classmates And she sang a song that I wish the gunman could hear. She repeated it again for me at home so I could video it. She sang, do you know where I find peace? Where I find peace? I'm looking all around. Do you know where I find peace? Peace begins inside of me. That's where peace is found. But I know peace is really love is really love, is really love. I'll pass my peace around. I'll give away the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, because that's where peace is found. I'm not going to 
sugarcoat anything or reality. It's been hard for me not to be afraid these past three weeks. As you've no doubt probably read, I voluntarily submitted my letter of resignation as the pastor of McLean Baptist Church. And it is a strangely odd thing to explain. But isn't that how most of life is lived? In the hard places to explain things. Mary and I love McLean Baptist Church. When we moved here, we thought we were going to be here for 20 years, 30 years. It was our dream, and you became our family. But then surgery happened, and it caused us to reevaluate, and we slowly sensed the Spirit guiding us to recalibrate our lives. I'm healed, and the amazing doctors saw to that, and I am forever grateful to them. But something is calling us to a deeper, different emotional and spiritual path, which I can't achieve here. And we're stepping out in faith, asking the Lord to rejuvenate our lives through a period of rest and renewal. And that is scary for me. And it is scary for most people. In fact, most of you think that's crazy, I'm sure. And I admit it seems crazy. And I'm sorry. But for us, it makes sense. But I won't lie to you and say it doesn't scare us. But the fear of the unknown doesn't tempt us to abandon the Spirit's wind of change. Well, the man or rather the demons controlling the man, they don't want him to experience the personification of love and peace that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So they spoke to Jesus first, and the demons asked, what do you want with us? They throw the man down in front of Jesus, and they say, begging almost, what do you want with us? And Jesus seems to instantly understand what and who he was dealing with. He isn't afraid. In fact, Jesus is always the one saying, don't be afraid. But Jesus didn't walk around this man. And Jesus didn't go back on the boat and try to search for a different shore and go ashore that way. He met the fear head on. And in doing so, he calls out these demons and he says, what is your name? And the demons reply, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion consists of 6,000 soldiers, a Roman legion does. Tortured in body, mind, and spirit, this man embodied the gaunt of human suffering. And I love, I just love that our Jesus calls for their names before he does anything else. It's the first thing he does. He makes the demons announce who they are. Jesus makes them tell him who they are so he can confront them and call these demons out. It's hard to banish evil from your life or from your country or from your church when you don't know what it is. 
It's hard to get out of fear's playground when you don't even realize that you're there. And so demon Jesus makes these demons announce themselves, identify who they are. Jesus doesn't name them. He makes them name themselves. He calls for a self-assessment, an introspective look. Gosh, too often, aren't we? We're quick to offer an analysis of others instead of asking God to reveal to us the areas in our own lives which we're allowing evil to run amok and rampant. This story teaches us surely to name our issues, to call them out as an individual, as a family, as a church, as a nation, because by calling them out, that's half the battle. Part of what Mary and I have been doing for the past four to six weeks is trying to call our issues out. So I'm in the muck and mire of doing that. I think I can ask you, when's the last time you've done that? And the moment they announce who they are, Jesus casts them out of the man and he sends them into the pigs and they run off into the cliff, off the cliff. Announcing our demons to God, I don't know, it might be more than half the battle. It might be most of the battle. And God does the rest. A scholar Jeffrey Johns nicely sums up a key insight into this text on the Gerasene demoniac when he says, the miracle story is not just about a personal exorcism. It's about the promise of God's ability to defeat and to reorder the disorder to reorder the disordered powers that afflict individuals and communities. Do we believe that? Do we think God has the power to do that? Do we have the strength to self-assess our lives and name our issues and let God reorder from the disorder? Mother Teresa published a book in 2007 called Come Be My Light. And in that book, she shocked people with her description of this, who she was. She says, I'm uh, in profound spiritual darkness, and I have been. Been haunted for 50 years in this darkness. She writes that she didn't practice what she preached, and she laments the stark contrast between her exterior demeanor and her interior desolation. Quote, the smile is a big cloak, that I wear. It is a cloak which covers a multitude of pains that I have and I want to name them. My cheerfulness is a cloak by which I cover the emptiness and misery I have. I deceive people with this weapon. Mother Teresa wrote this. She describes the absence of God's presence in many ways. Emptiness, loneliness, pain, suffering, loss, spiritual dryness, a lack of consolation. Quote, there is so much contradiction in my own soul. I have no faith, no love, no zeal. I find no words to express the depth of my darkness. My heart is so empty, so full of darkness, I don't pray any longer. The work holds no joy, no satisfaction, no attraction. I have no faith. I do not believe, she confesses. She rebukes herself as a shameless hypocrite for teaching her sisters one thing while experiencing something completely different. But she named her issues. And she spoke out to her demons. Reminds me of the psalmist. John read it for us a moment ago. Where is 
your God, the psalmist taunts, the cynical author. Lord, he says, why have you forgotten and rejected me? Reminds me of Isaiah, the other passage for this Sunday, when he says, I have had enough. When Jezebel threatened to murder Elijah, he rightly feared for his life. And after re-entering the desert with, uh, and then having this death wish, and then angels rescued him and they sent him back and, he, and, and they pushed him up to Mount Horeb. And he goes up to Mount Horeb promising to hear a word from God. Do you remember? And God spoke to Elijah, but not as he expected. Standing on Horeb, he made this great powerful wind blow and it blasted the mountain and it shattered the rocks. But the Lord wasn't in the wind, Scripture tells us. Then an earthquake shook the earth, the mountain to its core, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Then fire scorched the land, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after these dramatic acts of nature, there came a gentle whisper. And in that faint, discernible whisper, God spoke to Elijah and he said, You are mine. I have called you by name. Do not fear, for I am with you. What is your name? What's this church's name? So too he is calling me and you by your name. We must, if we are to move on, let him call us by name and hear the Almighty. I've been doing a lot of listening to him as of late never done as much listening to him as I should. That's something I'm learning to do. I was reminded of R.C. Buckner, who presided over 19 sessions of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, beginning in 1896. And previous to his... Um, presiding over these sessions, they would have a gavel, and the president would gavel in the session. But when he was elected, he tossed aside the gavel, and he collected a bouquet of roses that he would carry around with him. And he said, these roses symbolize the peacemaking spirit that I believe Christ has, and we should have for one another. And so everywhere he went, for 19 years, he would carry a bouquet of roses and he would give them out to congregations and to people as a sign of peace, and a sign of thanks. I'm not R.C. Buckner, but I'd like to give you a rose this morning, a rose of thanks to each of you for loving me and my family for embracing me and letting me into your faith community I have been humbled by your love a rose of remembrance we will not ever forget what you have done for us here and the relationships that you have blessed us with your family and always will be a rose of understanding and peace I'd like to offer. We are searching for peace as a family 
and as a church. And I know peace might be hard to find for a while, but perhaps just remember this day. God will provide peace. He always does. Because it was Lucy who reminded me this past week when I was searching for peace on many fronts. Do you know where I find peace, Daddy? Where I find peace? I find peace within. And I know peace is really love, is really love. And I'll pass my love around. And I'll give away the love of God, the love of God. Because that's where peace is found. God, we gather here and we have worshipped you and we have prayed to you and we have heard scripture read about you. And we know that it is only in you and way deep down inside where that divine spark was planted by you in our hearts that peace is found. God, sometimes, a lot of the time, most of the time, that peace in your spirit itself is covered up by the muck and mire of life. But not this morning. This morning we have lit these candles and we have put flowers up behind us and we have put names on the ledge and we've said we're going to let our light shine give us the courage the resolve and the determination to leave this place with our light shining the whole week in your son's name we pray.